Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and here at the top, I want to say thanks to Aaron Antone for composing our new book three theme that you can hear playing in the background. And thanks today to the Reverend Dr. Kevin Adams for joining me for this conversation on Psalm 73. As we talk about this psalm, we talk about its personal nature, but also just its expansive room for our doubts and God's room for our doubts that we see in this psalm. I found this conversation very encouraging. I hope you do too, as we think about bringing our doubts to the God who can handle them. So to get us started, here's Kevin reading Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free from care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Kevin, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Well, Matt, it's always a treat to be with you and to be with Curious Psalms people. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, since we recorded our last episode, you, well, let me put it this way, you intentionally walked 500 miles. Right, (laughs) that is very true, which is a kind of pilgrimage, much like pilgriming through the Psalms, I guess. Yeah, right. I have not had to move really from a chair to do it, so mine is more comfortable <laughs> and air-conditioned, too. And air-conditioned. We could make this podcast more kinetic somehow. We'd have to be a little creative, wouldn't we? We would. Have mobile recorders or something along the way. But it's good to have you back, and it's good to have you back on the podcast. Well, thanks, Matt. It's good to be back. 
I'm I'm wondering, is Psalm 73, you know, sometimes we have these conversations and you're like, this one's less familiar. Or I haven't spent a lot of time with this one. Is Psalm 73 a familiar one or an unfamiliar one? Psalm 73 is more familiar. Okay. I mean, it's not like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, yeah. or Psalm 100, which is a great Thanksgiving Psalm, or one Psalm 1, the start, or Psalm 150. But it's, so it's not that level, but it's okay. familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I love it's kind of in the middle. Right. I'm always curious. I feel like there's maybe like three psalms that have familiarity to me. <laughs> so each <laughs> one feels new. So it's fun when there's someone on who's like, yeah, yeah, this one has some familiar tones. Maybe we can dive right in by just asking whether familiar or unfamiliar. Right. Uh, what stood out to you in reading the psalm this time? Well, people sometimes ask me, I think you might have asked me along the way, what's your favorite psalm? And I mm. always want to say it's the last one I've read or it's the <laughs> one I'm about to read. But Psalm 73 could be on a list of enduring favorites, I think. Yeah, uh, one of the things good. that strikes me is it starts with kind of a Sunday school answer, yeah. or a, I don't want to say a cliche answer, because it's not just that, but it's sort of a beginning answer. It could be a cliche, but it's yeah. a beginning answer. It's a, a novice answer. And then the Psalm goes into this deep, wandering doubt, right? It's like, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's kind of like God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Now, that's yeah. true, but it doesn't feel true. Right. And so right in the middle of the Psalter, between one Psalm 1 and 150, so if I take a step back, Athanasius from the 300s roughly calls the Psalms, the book of Psalms, the anatomy of the human soul. Mm. In other words, it's all in there. Our grief, our doubt, our shame, our pride, our hopes, our joy. This one is our doubt, right? Yeah. It's a way to say, I, one of the things I love about this psalm is not as not only is it okay to doubt, but it's expected. Like mm. we have a whole prayer about doubt. We have more in the Psalter, but this, this one seems especially, to put the psalmist's own words at work, it's slippery. Like our <laughs> faith is slippery, our, our trust is slippery, our hearts are slippery. The evidence we see around is not consistent with what we believe sometimes. Yeah. And so faith feels kind of slippery. So one of the things I'd say is there's this beautiful kind of room to doubt. Yeah. And I think that's terrific. And, you know, this is maybe pushing a little head too fast. But another thing that strikes me is God is the God of those who doubt. Mm. Right? He's not just the God mm -hmm. of those who believe, who keep it all together and who have no sort of fog on their horizon. They see clearly it's sunny every day. God, no, God is the one of those who brood, who question, who wonder. He's, he's the God of the doubting Thomases, to put it in New Testament terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so those are a couple of things I'd start with. Uh -uh. I, if I were gonna be Q, I'd ask you, what struck, what struck <laughs> you, Matt? <laughs> right. No, I love that. I was just gonna say, you know, this Psalm, lots of Psalms have elements of doubt or naming kind of what's going on the the length at which this one does it right it's sort of so long that you start thinking wait is this are they saying this is this is really the ultimate truth right it's like is you're not coming turn? out of it yeah is this <laughs> gonna turn feels, ever you're kind of stuck in it and he had some extra time he had a day off where exactly. he was thinking about this yeah. right so i really resonate i resonate with that as well uh, one of the skipping ahead to kind of the second half of the psalm maybe we can talk about it that way is i was really intrigued by the language of nearness Right. And that imagery and the way it plays out. So you have it's in the sanctuary of God. This is the turning point in verse 17 as it comes near to God in some way that there's some kind of epiphany, which maybe I'll circle back to that in a minute. But then also language like, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Verse 23, very intimate. 
Right. But as for me, it is good to be near God, verse 28. Right before that, verse 27, you actually have the contrast also using this kind of distance language. Those who right. are far from you will perish. And I'm always, I'm always really fascinated when the Psalms, which are prayers of an individual, but also prayers of a people, maybe prayers that a whole choir would be singing, have this deeply intimate language right. and the invitation into that. Right. You know, there's different different traditions of Christianity. Sometimes it can feel like, oh, is this kind of personal relationship with God? Is that a, is that a new kind of concoction? And really, maybe there's certain versions and flavors of it that flow out of a sort of individualistic culture. But there's also elements where you're like, no, this it's right here. It's it's in kind of the ancient prayer book, right. so to speak. So I was just struck by that. That's nice, uh, Matt. It also raised the question for me is what is it about going into God's sanctuary, being near to God, oh, that's a, that yeah. like that changes the psalmist, that yeah. is transformative? I don't have an answer to that question. No, and it doesn't, but, he doesn't tell us, does yeah, he? Which is no. kind of interesting. It doesn't right? say, yeah, I looked at this part, you know, I, the I heard a Matt prayer, a prayer Matt had <laughs> exactly. shaped and it would just change my life. Or there was a song that Aaron sang or there was a sermon that Kevin or Matt gave or something and everything was, it, exactly. it might've been any of those things. It right. might've been none of, it might've been someone shuffling forward for communion, we would say in some Old Testament sense. So we don't know, do we? Yeah. Which is quite remarkable. Like many, like many passages of scripture, where we're like, it would be hey, nice to know. If there's a, is there a YouTube video of this? Could we right. see the surrounding <laughs> context of this? That would be interesting. But there's clearly something about being near to God in some in this way, in the physical gift of the sanctuary here that is, yeah, that changes him. Which maybe leads us to that second question of, we've already touched on it because the questions all blur together, which is yeah, good. They do. But what do we learn about God, or how do we encounter God in this psalm? Right. Well, and I, if, if we go back to the doubt and to the slippery faith, yeah. I think we encounter a God who gives us room to doubt. I mean, just this past week, it happens every week, I, I think, almost every Sunday, someone will confide in me as the pastor some of their doubts. And other people are afraid to speak them because they think doubts are somehow illegal in church. Um, but this past week, someone was talking to me about a friend of theirs who had lost an adult child to cancer. Well, I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, I have my own things and you have your own things, but that's a particularly terrible yeah. thing. And she said, "I, the person doesn't know how to pray and they don't know how to come back to church. They don't know what to do. But she says, I keep telling them doubts are okay in church. And I thought, well, good. That's yeah. a good thing to say because it's so true, right? So yeah. God is the God of Doubting Thomas, who missed a church meeting and Jesus showed up, uh, the resurrected Jesus right. showed up. That's a bummer of a church meeting to miss, <laughs> right? God is the God of Nathaniel, who, whose brother Philip comes to him and says, we have met the Messiah. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, which yeah. is its own Psalm 73 doubt. So there's a skepticalness here. And God has room for skepticism and not cynicism, I don't think, but for open-hearted wondering. So I think for any of us, in and for all of us, really, in any time, we are welcome to come back to God. One of my favorite quotes is by chaplain of Harvard Memorial Church, Peter Gomes. He was a masterful preacher and a wonderful counselor. Sometimes the students of Harvard would come and say, Dr. Gomes, I no longer believe in God. And he would answer often, well, tell me what kind of God you don't believe in. It may be that I don't believe in him yeah. either, right? So you've heard me say that before, but sometimes I think it's tempting in a church setting, and I think we do a pretty good job of dodging this, to, to make faith so sure and to be so confident that when we send students off to college or when doubts, a terrible thing happens in our life, we don't have a, 
a robust enough faith to lean back on. So people talk mm-hmm. about losing their faith. Well, we didn't maybe lose our faith. We lost maybe the innocence of everything's going to work out okay. Yeah. And this psalm on this journey, if you picture this as a pilgrimage or a journey from Psalm 1, the two ways to Psalm 150 where everything's joy and light and symbols are crashing with joy. In between there are a lot of canyons and steep crevices and potholes and terrible turns and washouts. And this psalm teaches us God is the God of all that and in all that. He's also, to your point, uh, he's the God who meets us in the sanctuary. Yeah. Which is quite beautiful. Yeah. He doesn't leave us in our doubts. So he both creates room, but he doesn't leave us in our doubts. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's it's the best we could ask for, isn't it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I love that. I was thinking maybe a little bit too about where the doubts stem from. And even this psalm doesn't, I think, fully resolve the doubts. The, The psalmist has a kind of epiphany maybe we might say yeah but it's not a resolution i i don't think because i was reading you know this is verse 18 surely you place them on slippery ground so who's slippery now you cast them down to ruin how suddenly are they destroyed completely swept away by terrors which is you know suddenly the psalmist has perspective but at the same time if that were true they wouldn't have written the first have 15 written the, verses it, of the right. psalm. It's, it's so true. The data hasn't changed. Exactly. The circumstances have not changed, yeah. which I think is a gift to all of us who are praying or thinking or wandering or doubting in the middle of our circumstances. The, 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 the promise here is not that God will change your circumstances. Exactly. The promise yeah. is that God will hold your hand yeah. as you walk through your circumstances. And that the... One of the things I jotted down, like the timing of God is disorienting sometimes. Oh my, yes. And that this psalm feels like it highlights that for me because for this to be true, that the that the wicked are on slippery ground and that they will fall and that they will be but a fantasy when the Lord arises means that that will happen, but it's sure not happening now as the psalmist no, writes. No, because they're getting, you know, the, the, the bad people, the wicked people are getting all the grants. Exactly. Their kids are going yep. to school for free. You yep. know, they have no college debt. They have... All kind, you know, they're driving Free from nice common cars. human burdens. They're, right. They live in the suburbs of Northern California. <laughs> right. they're, they're living the good life. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so, I mean, I think part of sometimes where our doubts flow from is just that, that the fact that God's timing is so often disorienting. Right. You've heard maybe uh, Walter Brueggemann, a great Old Testament scholar, he talks about the Psalms. He's immersed himself in the Psalms. He says there are Psalms of orientation. Mm. This is the way things are supposed to be. Psalm 1 is one of those. Psalm 150 is one of those. Uh, Psalm 100 is probably one of those. And then there are psalms of disorientation. I don't know which way to swim or float. I don't know. I'm drowning and I don't know which way the bubbles are going so I can get out of here. And the first half of this is is certainly disorientation. And then there are psalms of reorientation where you meet some resolution. And I think this psalm really has all three. (laughs) The first verse is disorientation. It's the Sunday school answer. Uh, It's the the first thing you learn in church. Yeah. It's surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. And it's like, yep, okay. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be, Psalm 1, right? Right. And then, and then right away he's disoriented. And then he takes a turn. We've talked about this mysterious turn. We don't know what caused it except he was in church. And then it's reorientation. There's some resolution. So, yeah, if Brueggemann's right, it's surely right in this psalm. Right? Yeah, I love that. I love that framing. That's, I think, really helpful. Yeah, the invitation, right, is we're drawn forward through this psalm and the landing place. The landing place is not, I understand God's timing and I understand everything perfectly. It's, I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. 
and now I will tell of all your deeds. Yeah, and I hope that's really comforting to people listening because sometimes like if someone's lost someone or if they're going through a really troubled time, there's some versions of Christianity where they feel like I've got to find how God's working in this right now. I've got to say, you know, this terrible thing happened, but God was there and he saw me through. Well, if that happens, hooray, that's great. But it's also okay if that doesn't happen. It's okay if you flop back and forth or switch Mm. back and forth or slip to use yeah. this verb, slip back and forth between doubt and faith and wondering. Because sometimes God doesn't make clear why he's doing things. So that's not the right. highest thing in our agenda. He just yeah. simply gives us himself. And refuge is so different than this is what God has done through this. Right. My accounting right. books are up and <laughs> exactly. my job is exactly. going swimmingly and my right. kids all adore and love each yeah. other. Yeah. It's just, this is this is the only place I have to rest. Well, maybe let's turn to our third question, which I think we've also been talking about as we've gone through, which is all good. But how does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah, Matt, that I think it helps in so many wonderful ways. I think one of the ways it helps us is is just to repeat what we've been saying. It gives us room to doubt. I talked to so many people over the years of being here. You know, you you get through your doubts and then you come to church. Uh, No, Mm -hmm. you come to church and you wrestle with your doubts like all the rest Mm. of us. So I I think it's saying we pray our doubts. It's not like we eradicate our doubts. Doubts are not like the Bible is not sort of the weed eater of the faith. <laughs> it's just, just spraying on our doubts and they go away forever and ever. No, the Bible is like, you're going to have doubts. We have doubts. If you're paying attention to the world, it doesn't go the way it's supposed to. So yeah. bring your doubts to church. Mm. And Psalm 73 says, pray them, which I think is pretty great. And then the pivot, we talked before We don't know what happened in the sanctuary, but one thing we do know always happens in the sanctuary because songs are a kind of prayer Mm. and prayer is a kind of prayer and uh, sermons can be a kind of prayer. So basically the place to pray your doubts, the place to be if you have doubts, the place Mm. to be if you feel like you're slipping is with God's people, which Mm. is a little counterintuitive. Sometimes even with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, people say, well, what if I don't? believe in God the Father. I think the right. psalm is in the spirit of, we don't always believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, but come confess it with us or we'll confess it for you and yeah. stay in the, the stream of covenant love. Yeah, right? I once heard someone talk about saying the Apostles' Creed and needing to borrow the faith of their neighbor yeah. as yeah. they said it, right? Really Which nice is why you're there. Yeah. You're alone, there's no one's faith to kind of borrow in right. that respect yeah. and to lean on. There's a couple things to yeah. start with, but I'll play cue again. What, <laughs> what, 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 what do you think about praying from this psalm, Matt? Yeah, it's just to build on what you're saying, Kevin, because I think there's, there's a sense in which we could come in the midst of our doubts, which is really good. We want to encourage people to do that yeah. and never name our doubts too. So not only can we pray our doubts, but we can really explicitly name. And I, I'd written down, oh, you know, nice. naming the discontinuities. Yeah. The places where we see, we expect things to be one way and they're not. And sometimes those aren't even doubts. Sometimes those are just observations, right? It's paying attention. Like we're just paying attention. I think this psalm really invites us to pay attention. Like don't don't close your eyes to the good things that are happening to the wicked and try to say, well, that doesn't fit with sort of my, my worldview, so to speak. So I'll just ignore it. No, look around and observe what's happening and then bring that, bring that to God in the sanctuary. Right. And see, see how he might meet you. There's a real invitation, I think, in this psalm. And I think if we if we bring those things, we might find out, well, we might find out nothing, as we've talked about. Or we might realize that our understanding of God 
and what he might be at work doing was a little off. Right. We might gain some kind of fresh understanding in a different way, right? So there's a kind of to pray our doubts is to pray with a kind of openness. And I, I'm I'm wrestling with the I'm wrestling with the posture here because earlier you talked about skepticism and cynicism. And I'm like, is there like it feels like even this psalm has a little bit it's like a jaded doubt, like a jaded yeah. like it's not quite cynicism because there remains an openness. Yeah. But it's quite frank too about the wicked. <laughs> Which is one of the things we both learn about God and learn about prayer in this right. passage, this psalm and in the whole Psalter. It's like you can be remarkably frank with God. Right. He is not just to quote Walter Brueggemann again, he says he is not part of an imperial religion where you, you approach God as sort of a king. Mm. Oh, king, would you do me this one favor? Oh, please, can you help me with this one favor? And you bow down a few times and genuflect a few times and then sort of leave with all the royal protocol. No, God is a covenant partner. You can come to him and say any, really literally anything you want to say or yeah. feel like you need to say or don't yeah. dare to say. And it's surprisingly, remarkably frank. Yeah. Because God's the one who loves us. And at the end of the day, we get him. Yeah. Not our answers. And it seems like God will work with the smallest sliver of openness. Yeah. You know, to to him and an encounter with him. I had a conversation with someone once, one of our soul talk conversations. And they were oh, saying, yeah. I just want to be open to God. I don't feel like I'm open to God. To which my response was, well, you're sitting here. <laughs> so it seems like you're too. somewhat open to <laughs> God. <in> soul talk. <laughs> there must so, be something there. But right. So sometimes our experience too, like we can feel like we just have the barest sliver of openness. Right. Like we just want to make an attempt and maybe the doubts and maybe what we might even feel as cynicism are piled up, but we're willing to drag ourselves to the sanctuary. We're willing to yeah. bring our doubts, maybe yeah. our angers and frustrations to church. This psalm feels like that's enough, that's enough space. Right. In fact, that's more than enough space for God to start working, right. which is really remarkable to me. And you are, yeah, I loved what you said. I think that's so helpful, Matt. And I loved what you said earlier about this kind of sometimes Psalms feel so personal. And uh, that's quite remarkable. It'd be fun to talk to Livy about that in Hebrew poetry. But mm. it seems like that's some of the earliest sort of individual reflection. Psalm 139 would be a wonderful example. Of, yeah. Search me, O God, and know oh, yeah. my heart, you know, that kind of thing. But this is also remarkably personal and part of the beauty of it obviously as we've been talking is it's it's a personalness we share it's an mm. individual walk that we kind of can connect with and relate to and there's a reason it's included yeah absolutely well kevin anything else to add about psalm 73 i love this conversation well likewise man i think we could talk about doubt for a long time yeah, and right. might surprise people but we all have our own version no i would I'd maybe just highlight what you highlighted, this closeness of God. This may be some of the most remarkable kind of poetry or connection in the Bible. This, yet I'm always, even in, with, with all my doubts, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand and guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And then this remarkable line, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. It's just a remarkable place. It's a remarkable confession. And like we're saying, maybe none of the evidence, mm -hmm. none of the circumstances changed. But at the end, he said, God, God will be my enough. And God doesn't like to leave us where we are. He's always encouraging yeah. us to, to grow up in our faith. And this surely is an invitation. Well, thanks, Kevin. That's a beautiful final word. And we've heard from the psalm as well. So I will simply say to our listeners, friends, go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>